Blog Talk Radio. Plan more, fear less. Diabetes late night. This is my heartbeat song and I'm gonna play it. It's been so long I forgot how to turn it up, 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 up all night long. Oh, up, up all night long. You, where the hell did you come from? You're a different, different kind. Because I'm ready to welcome you to October's Diabetes Late Night Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and I'd like to empower you tonight to manage your diabetes with confidence, knowledge, and musical inspiration from Kelly Clarkson. You know, Kelly Clarkson was crowned the first ever American Idol 13 years ago, and she's remained one of the most successful winners ever since. Through the years, she's given women and men of all ages anthems for breaking up and self-confidence, and now with her newest album, Piece by Piece, she's featuring, which she'll be featuring tonight, she's giving us songs of inspiration to help manage your diabetes like a diva. Throughout the next hour, we'll be talking about binge eating, overeating, and food addiction and how it relates to diabetes self-management, as well as playing all of Kelly Clarkson's songs from Piece by Piece, uh, courtesy of Sony Music. A new study using brain imagery tests suggests that high glycemic foods can trigger parts of the brain that lead to food addiction. What do you think about that? Are you struggling with your weight? Can you not stop eating one chip or one cookie? Is it hard to pull back? Are, do you feel like you're a mindless eater versus a mindful eater? Well, guess what? Tonight, I'm examining this topic in depth because of my experience working with Luther Vandross. You know, it's widely known that Luther struggled with his weight. He gained and lost an excess of about 120 pounds three or four times during the time I worked for him. If he had one, bu- uh, one bite of a trigger food, uh, that was it. He really couldn't stop eating. He'd quickly gain back the weight he lost and then some extra pounds on top of that. And honestly, it was heartbreaking and painful and difficult to watch his struggle. Of course, his fans were in love with him and his voice no matter what his size. But at the time when he weighed probably his heaviest is when he had his stroke, which was related to his type 2 diabetes. I've spent my life's mission now trying to make sure that doesn't happen to anyone else. So that's why I really want to examine this topic topic and invited these guests to be on the show. Tonight we have musician, songwriter, life coach Kat Beach. 
We have Migret Fletcher, who is the founder of the Center for Mindful Eating. She's also a certified diabetes educator, as well as a registered dietitian. And we're going to be joined by Dr. Lori Shemek, who's been on the show before. Uh, she'll be talking to me about the mindset behind something called food addiction. If you're not familiar with that term, we'll be hearing more about it and how it may or may not relate to you or someone you love. Plus, Mama Rosemary is going to join us with her Mother Your Diabetes tip. Now, why don't you join the conversation and call into our studio line tonight at 347-215-8551. Stay tuned for more inspiration on diabetes late night. But before we get things started, let's take a minute to donate to DivaBetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contrib- contributions are greatly appreciated. Here's another song, the title song from Kelly Clarkson's 7th studio album called Peace by Peace. Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and that was Kelly Clarkson. Hey, remember, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we'll be discussing this topic on Tuesday, October 12th, uh, excuse me, October 27th, when I go back to the gynecologist and talk to my good friend, Dr. Andrea Chisholm, about breast cancer, diabetes, and ovarian cancer. Uh, make sure to tune into that. Right now, I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show. She's a musician, songwriter, and life coach. Please welcome Kat Beach. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Well, welcome. I follow you all the time on uh, Facebook. You live down in Nashville. And um, I've I've just been so excited to get you on the show, Kat. I'm glad you could join us tonight. I'm so happy to be here. For for you and for everybody who I have the pleasure of being on the show with tonight, because you're talking about something very, very close to my heart. So thanks, honey. And plus Luther Vandross, might I add happened to be quite an idol to me. So that was uh, an en- ugh, enormous loss. So, Yes, it, was, it really was. And, um, you know, I chose Kelly Clarkson because of the whole of what she's been going through with her own weight. You know, after she mm-hmm. had the baby, she was kind of attacked in the headlines for not being able to lose the baby weight. You're a female performer yourself. You know how difficult yeah. it is. And how do you feel about the pressures that are put on you to look a certain way day after day, month after month, performance after performance. <laughs> funny, funny you say that because we just had a performance this last week and that, that was one of the uh, uh, the thoughts that we're going through. As we get older in, in the performing world, part, part of our job is to be a mentor and be as strong as we can. So for Kelly Clarkson, she, it's tough for her. It's good that she has such a strong sense of self eyeballed by so many people and, and everybody has an opinion of what they think you should look like without actually knowing what your world is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, can, it can weigh heavy on you. Well, there's I a lot of pressure it. from not just the fans, but the record label and executives, don't you feel? Oh, that's ugly. That's ugly, yeah. Th- very rough because they think that because the camera puts on uh, a little over eight pounds, 
So, uh, and it's interesting you say it because I, and I'd love to work with Kelly Clarkson because I'm really with all of my clientele and with myself, I really focus on building my body up because I find that having as much muscle tissue, lean muscle mass as I can, uh, it really comes across visually a very different way on camera. So you can still have a little extra um, uh, life on your bones, I'll just put it that way. But when you're muscular, you not only are you more powerful in terms of the way your health is and how you feel, but visually it looks different. So You know, that's so um, funny because I was at the gym last week for my total body conditioning class, and uh, we were. They just changed the structure where they're making us use more hand weights. And this woman told me she doesn't like to go because uh, she feels that she's getting too bulky. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, here's the deal: you can't out uh, uh, out train a bad diet. So uh, you do need to <laughs> have an eating plan. That uh, I'm I'm one of those people who tries to lower my carbs as much as uh, I can. Not all of them, because there are some good carbs, and I need to have a an active brain during the day. But, yeah, there are a lot of and, – and, and trying to dispel that theory is difficult in terms of people saying I can't – females mostly, I can't lift weights because I'm going to look bulky and, and big. That case, you're actually creating more lean muscle mass. And believe it or not, have to feed the lean muscle mass, i.e. don't starve yourself because if you're not feeding what you're building, your body goes into a reverse mode. So I know she probably, a lot of people go through that thought pattern. Yeah, and I know – I mean, I agree with you. I wish more women would, I think, look to weights because I think it is a great way to improve your physique, and I don't think it comes necessarily with bulk like you said. So now I know from looking at your website, catbeach.net, that you've been through your own weight loss journey. So did any of these um, topics of binge eating, overeating, or just food addiction in general, Cat, apply to you before you began your weight loss journey? I was, aw- I was awful when I, I left my passion, and this was back in my uh, mid-20s, and I was in acting at the time. And let's flip it to the other side. I, being on stage in, in, in that time, I didn't know anything really about fitness and building the body, so I starved myself. And then I, I, I went through, you know, as life happens, life, you know, happened, and I went from about 130 pounds to over 220 pounds, binge eating was one of the things that it was, it was to emotionally, you know, cuddle me. I mean, I would eat pizza. I'd eat, you know, pints of ice cream. I left my direction and my love and my passion in life, and I found, you know, solace in food. And it wasn't until I had an incredible coach. Uh, at the time, her name, uh, it was Sue Moon. I've had many other coaches since then, but Sue Moon was extraordinary. She she really took me under her wing and taught me what it was to try to elongate my threshold of pain, which was to dealing with weight training and the pain that goes along with it, and also to deal with the brain power behind what is it to feel uncomfortable and okay, meaning how am I going to get rid of eating the pizzas and the ice cream and the rest of it. But I'll tell you something, what she really taught me, and I, I, I and I've taught many other people, is the weight training. If you weight train and you keep that lean muscle mass strong, you know, there, it, it just adds a whole different process to the way you, you address life and how you feel and visually and how your body deals with food. But, yes, binge eating was an issue for me. So how did um, you change fact, the I knew, relationship? You'll, you'll laugh at this one. <laughs> I got to tell you this. The guy at the pizza store knew me 
He's like, would you like your usual? That can't possibly be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so now how how did you really change your relationship to food? Because I, I re, I've i been reading in preparation for this show, and there's so much yeah. research, and the Huffington Post has quite a lot of uh, men and women talking first person about it and that cycle yeah. of negative thoughts. So here you were out of your passion. You weren't doing what you love to do. You were gaining weight. You weren't feeling good about yourself. I, I assume that the food was a comfort. I wondered, how do you break that cycle, and what's your relationship with food today? Two, two things happened. And I'm always, this is a slippery slope to talk about, because talking about health versus ego. What, what happened inside my head when Sue Moon sat down with me? I saw somebody who practiced what she preached, and I saw how she ate, and I, I wanted to look like her. So my ego decided me wanted so badly to look like her that I listened intently to what she ate, went through some, you know, the uncomforts of what it was to switch over to a protein shake. But the visual in the mirror was so painful for me, and, and everybody has their light switch. It happens that it, not everybody's ready for it, but I was ready at that exact time the coach came in, and, and I wanted it that badly. So it, it became how do you make a protein shake? Here's another example, by the way in terms of changing your relationship with food. When I lost my first 50 pounds, I went and I, I got some sort of raspberry treats. I don't know what it was. It's a, it's a pastry at the store. And I called Sue to tell her, oh, my gosh, I'm, I, I went and got one. She said, why would you have done that? It, again, it was a good coach downloading into my brain you know, the, the good stuff. She said, why would you have said, gone and gotten a, a raspberry pastry to, to reward yourself, the very thing that you've been trying very hard to get away from, why didn't you get yourself some roses, maybe lipstick, maybe blush, maybe something else? So, again, she, she downloaded into my head the process of eating for energy, not eating to just make yourself feel good. Now, as women, certain times of the month, we, we go through that process, and it, it becomes a little bit of a fight. But once I got through that and into the I'm eating I'm eating for energy. I'm eating because I want my body to feel strong. It, it just became different. But it also meant I had to eat different types of food, and she introduced me to different types of food, Max. I mean, I, at the time, I wasn't really into, you know, avocados. Uh, Lord knows I didn't know how to make a protein shake that might possibly taste good, and, and she gave me all types of options. Matter of fact, brought me into her kitchen to teach me, you know, you can put a little peanut butter in a protein shake, uh, maybe some strawberries. If you do have a moment where you need to add a little extra something to it, you know, peanut butter powder, uh, maybe different different mints, you know, to make it taste better. So it, so it was a step-by-step procedure. But when I said ego versus health, because I hate to say this, and, it, and it's hard for me, and I've been doing the fitness for over, over 15 years, I found that some people who have dealt with diabetes, and I've, I've had a lot of people drop their A1Cs, which is, I'm proud of them. But those who have come into me with health issues, that will keep them in the game for a short period of time. I found the people who get the most amount of success and body transformation have their ego not over the top, but they have their ego there. And, and, and it's strange to say that, but at 5 o'clock in the morning when you have to get your buns out of bed to go to work out, or have your oatmeal before you go and do it, or go jogging or walking, or go uh, on the way home uh, from work. Sometimes pictures help people, and I have found that 
people who get fitness magazines and look at these fit people and have the fitness pictures there and they have me in their ear all the time, it attaches to their ego. And that's a tough thing for me to say because some some people don't want to hear that. No, I think that's a good point. I mean, there's so many, um, you know, there's a lot of people listening who don't want to be photographed or have their picture on, uh, you know, at a selfie or they're regretting and hating the idea of going to their family reunion or someone right now living with diabetes mm-hmm. probably listening to the show is uh, sneak eating, I think, for lack of a better term, we could say that. And, you know, I yeah. just wonder, like, how, what would you say to some of these people who are listening who might be in that cycle you were talking about before you began your transformation? Like, what, what's something that you learned along this journey? And you were just talking about the ego and how it plays into you wanting to manage your health. But what else would you say, yeah. Kat, to someone right now? Because I know you made yeah. this transformation. 80 pounds is a big deal. And I'm, I'm sure people would love to do that who are listening. How badly do you want your machine to work for you? That front of the mirror and have that conversation because everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. And I hear a lot of people who come into me when, when, we, when we go through the process in the beginning saying, well, I've tried you know, 10 million different things. If you stop thinking I have to diet down, get that out of your head, Stop, stop the process of I've got a diet, I've got to take the food out, I got and start thinking, what am I going to do to build this machine? Build it up, don't break it down. For everybody who feels the need to to do the binge eating, here's the deal. You pay, I'm sorry, you play, you pay. That's a big thing I tell everybody. Everybody's gonna mess up, including me. And I've been a bodybuilder, I've been in fitness, I've done all types of things. But if I'm gonna eat a piece of cake, I know that I'm going to have to get in within 24 hours to get rid of it to do some cardio, or I'm going to have to do weight training. So for everybody who's in that process of feeling the need to, oh, go over the edge with food, stop thinking of it as, okay, i got to stop all of this and I can't do this anymore, and start thinking, what am I going to add into my life that I'm going to strengthen me as a person? And, and really, that's the relationship with food that you have to stop thinking I have to take it out and I have to starve myself. I, you know, there's plenty of things that fitness people eat, and they've got great blood work and they've got great health, but what they're doing is they're adding in weight training and cardiovascular training, again, to build their machine. We focus so much on trying to diet food out that it becomes a, um, a loss factor for people. So I, I've had that. Like, for instance, let me give you, let me give you a for instance. Uh, a young lady has come into to me uh, seven months ago, and she's dropped her A1Cs. Because we're in the, or I should say A1C, and I should, I wish I could pull up what it went down. It was pretty tremendous. Bear with me for just a moment. She was from 6.8 down to 5.4 within the first five months of weight training. Her wife was at, her A1C was at 10. And just by listening and starting to build her body and, and, and getting into the same process of her mentor and her, obviously, her wife. She went from 10 down to 5.8. Now, one of her people at work who's listening to her and seeing her change and going through the process, again, of building the body, and she's eating a lot of food. See, everybody in the, in the process of whether it's diabetes or uh, binge eating, it, it's the thought that, oh, my gosh, I can't eat, I can't eat, I can't eat. No, what I want you to do is add in the, the weight lifting, the cardiovascular, the, find a great coach who's going to work with you because you are eating every three hours. If you're treating your body like a machine, like it should be, 
then you are eating every three hours, and there shouldn't be that moment where you feel like you're dipping down. Another one of her friends was, didn't even realize that she was, had type 2 diabetes, had no idea until she passed out uh, down on the beach on a vacation. She was at 15, which is very high, and, and brought hers down to 7. So I'm throwing out a lot of uh, numbers No, that's out good. There. We're going to be most... talking to Migret um, Fletcher, who's a certified diabetes educator, and I'm ask her to tell people what those numbers mean exactly that you're yeah. talking about. But we're we're talking but about what? is a transformation and people being able to make this change. And I know a lot of people listening mm. who are dealing with being uh, overeating, binge eating, or food addiction yeah. coupled with diabetes feel like that's a lot to carry, a lot of weight uh, to deal with, a lot. And I don't mean weight in terms of pounds, but just a lot of weight on your shoulders. and Emotionally. And, uh, yeah, and, and just the baggage of having a health issue of, related to something you're going on emotional is um, and difficult you, for and people. And that's awful. why, wait, that's why music is so important. And I want to wrap up just talking to you a little bit about your music because you really are a diabetic. You're raising awareness for diabetes, and you're a musician and a songwriter. Uh, you know, Kelly Clarkson is so inspirational with these anthems. I'm sure you find motivation in music. Do you? I do. As a matter of fact, it, we're we're just starting. We're we're going to blast off a tour coming up. Gosh, hopefully within the next six months, we're still putting a couple things together in Nashville. But it's called Music in Motion. So we're going from town to town to find twenty of the best uh, coaches in the town and five of the strongest artists in each individual town that commit their life to fitness and music. And we're putting on uh, uh, some performances in uh, four separate towns that we're working on now. Because that is, yeah, my, my life is about, I also unfortunately went through uh, acute panic disorder. You know, so I've, there, a lot of my music uh, is about making it through. Uh, a lot of my music is uh, about empowering yourself. And I'm so blessed to do it. But that's why I'm, I'm you know, doing Blasting Off the Tour with some great, my uh, songwriting partner, Ned Albright, a wonderful colleague of mine, Catherine, uh, as well as Beth. Uh, we're all putting it together to really, to raise awareness for, for people who are suffering from it. And there are a lot of people in America who, who, who have tried everything, but you know, the, the, the message I want to leave with people right. is that if, well, you, if you, if you get a coach, you not just a fitness coach, there are all different types of coaches you can get, but do find somebody who's a good mentor because that'll help you through. Um, I think it's amazing. It's about not going alone. I just have the final question I want to ask you, Kat, there's been a lot of singers on talent shows on TV. Kelly Clarkson was the first. Somehow she's been able to maintain and go farther. You know, I was watching The Voice the other night, and the kids on it today say, I grew up wanting to be on The Voice. It's such a different reality to be on reality shows, to be, uh, you know, to, to seek out stardom. I'm curious to know yeah. why you think Kelly Clarkson has been so, has had such an amazing career and why she still stays uh, relevant today in the music industry. First off, she she won't take anybody's beep. <laughs> she, she's a powerful young lady. Secondly, she has an extraordinary voice. There are a lot of people in the industry who who are hard workers, but they don't have, as we say in the industry, pipes like Kelly Clarkson. Amazing voice, and she's blessed to have it. Now, we should, at one point, if she wants to lose weight and change her, her visual for whatever purpose she wants to, that's in her world that's up to her. But I think people should focus on the wonderful songwriting and the wonderful voice she has. She's tremendous. She has a lot to talk about. 
and she's she's very you know deep seated in Nashville and uh, and uh, obviously uh, where she lives as well, and she's a very just powerful vocalist. That's why I love she's, it. She's, she has she has she has power beyond just her body, and 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 in the industry we're so focused on that 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 we we don't focus on what is very important. If you listen to the power in her vocals, you listen to the power in her words, you can really you get some inspiration, and that's why. And we're gonna that get some more cat. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Straight ahead, you're going to love this. Kelly Clarkson's going to urge listeners like Kat and I to be people who have more going on in life than just what's happening in their bedrooms with this song, I Had a Dream, courtesy of Sony Music. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and it's time to meet the founder of the Center for Mindful Eating. She's a registered dietitian, a certified diabetes educator. Please welcome to the show, Migreet Fletcher. Hello, Migreet. How are you, Max? Am I getting it right? I'm doing well. You just heard Cat Beach talking a little bit about A1Cs. I want to talk to you obviously tonight about mindful eating, but before we do, can you tell everyone what an A1C is who's listening who might have diabetes so they're aware of what that previous conversation was about? Sure. So an A1C is a three-month average that correlates to blood sugars. So when we test our blood sugars, we're only looking at a number, and that number isn't very stable, so it will change. So you might test your blood sugars three times in an hour, and if you ate anything, that blood sugar is going to go up and down. So when you check an A1C, you're looking at the average blood sugar, whether you've eaten or you haven't eaten, while you're sleeping, while you're awake, while you're exercising. All of those numbers are kind of coming together, and they're getting averaged out. The American Diabetes Association sets a standard of seven and below is considered good diabetes control, and the American College of Clinical Endocrinologists set the standard of 6.5, and below is good diabetes control. Everyone's A1C and their target is established um, by you and your physician, and it's dependent on lots of other conditions. So if you don't know what your target A1C is, definitely talk with your healthcare provider to learn what yours is. Again, the two standards that we toss out, 7 and below, 6.5 and below, are good diabetes care. A person without diabetes would have an A1C of less than 5.7. So as Kat was talking and she was mentioning numbers like 5.2, that person had moved from an A1C to a non-diabetic A1C range. Now, the question that comes up in a lot of people's mind is, does that mean that they're cured? Does that mean they don't have diabetes? And, of course, what would we say? We'd say, if you keep up the behaviors that helped your body, you're managing your diabetes with those behaviors. So exercise, food, medication, monitoring, stress management, all of those things were the tools that allowed that A1C to go back. But if you stop using those tools, that blood sugar is going to creep back right back up again because there is no cure for diabetes. And that's sad for people, but the cure is doing these healthy behaviors, learning, talking with people, getting the coach, you know, taking a walk, 
doing exercise, those kinds of things. Those are the things that you do for the rest of your life that help you stay healthy. And it's not just people with diabetes. Everybody, whether you have high blood sugars or not, needs to sing and dance in the kitchen and unwind and talk to their friends and eat good food and walk and exercise and see the doctor too. Right? Absolutely. And I I appreciate you saying that because I think it's so important for people to hear that message about, you know, lowering your A1C is amazing, but knowing what that means and that you need to maintain it um, and going back to the discipline and determination, like Kat said, as well as some of her patients. Um, My question uh, around that whole aspect was really about getting into this whole concept of um, back to the initial conversation around food addiction, binge eating, and overeating, and people who, you know, let's say they lost the weight, like we're saying, and they dropped their A1C, and then they begin to let those habits creep back in that might have, you know, not help, weren't working for them to begin with, and suddenly their numbers start to start creeping up there, and they, you know, some of these things about the binge eating and overeating, like Kat said, the starving to get down to a number or whatever, uh, backfires and they find themselves in this cycle. Is that what the Center of Mindful Eating is dealing with when they're when you're working with patients with diabetes is changing the relationship with food they have? Well, you asked a lot of questions, so let me just kind of break it down. First <laughs> That's of all, my the, job. <laughs> I know. So the Center for Mindful Eating is an international nonprofit and it created the principles of mindful eating which is taking mindfulness and applying it to food and eating. So we know that when people practice mindfulness and we're seeing lots and lots of studies come out saying it changes the brain, it makes people happier, lower stress, you know, it, it can be used in things like psoriasis and eczema as really showing improvement. But what we're seeing is is that mindfulness, when we apply it to food and eating, are helping people disconnect from habitual patterns around food and eating. So we're seeing that it helps people uh, with binge eating and also to change their coping mechanisms. So when we're happy or sad, we cope with that. We cope with all emotions, good or bad, and how we cope with them, some people use food. So mindfulness and awareness, the same techniques that help people with PTSD move past that traumatic experience also work with food and eating. And that's really, really exciting. When we so, when you work with patients with type two, do you see a link between any of these ideas and and diabetes and and why it might be a struggle for some people with diabetes, specifically type two diabetes, to lower their A one Cs because of this whole coping mechanism mechanism they might be using in their life might not be uh, the the best choice for them. Well, I wrote a book with Dr. Michelle May called Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat with Diabetes. And Dr. May has created called Mindful Eating Cycle. It really talks about the cycle or patterns that we have around food and eating. Um, I don't like to use the word addicted. I like to use the word hooked. And um, when we think about it, everybody gets hooked by food because it's a sensory trigger. Food looks good, it smells good, it tastes good, it feels good, it it makes us happy. And there's lots of chemicals that are released when we eat, when we talk with people, when we connect with people, when we serve food to other people. There's lots of habits and culture and there's just lots of stuff going there. It's a very complex process. So if we can do something really radical, and that's ask ourselves, why am I eating? Am I eating because I'm physically hungry or am I eating for another reason? 
there's no wrong answer here, but just understanding why. Why am I eating? That is a question that can actually, it is actually the most radical thing you can do. Because once you understand why you're eating, you can decide what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. You can really start kind of understanding that cycle. And that's what the mindful eating cycle is about. Six questions that help people understand the why. Why am I eating? What's driving this food and eating habit? We get into a cycle, we get into a mindset, we get hooked by food, and it becomes familiar. Now, once something becomes familiar, we think it's right. We know it. I know this. This is familiar. It doesn't mean it's healthy. And so mindful eating is gently turning around saying, mindfulness is gently turning around saying, did it work? Did it really make you feel better? Did it really help you? Is it really the choice that's helping your health? It's asking this kind of gentle tweak, this little probe, this little poke. So um, I think what Kat said was she says it, it gets into your head. That's what we're trying to do. Every single patient that I see, every person that I talk with, they're bright and able. Everybody starts in that space. If you're bright and able and you're struggling, Maybe really the problem is you're having a hard time focusing in on changing your food and eating because you're dealing with all these other things. I call them alligators. Everybody's juggling alligators. So some alligators take a priority in our food and our eating our health. That shifts. And we do that once, okay. We do it twice, yeah. We start getting in the pattern of letting food and eating and nutrition and health not be the priority because we've got all these other alligators that we're dealing with. Then we start seeing patterns. And it's hard to to kind of talk to that, that alligator that we've pushed off to the side. He might have gotten kind of big, might have been well, scary, not very familiar. I feel like I hear a lot of people with diabetes talk about how they don't want to think about food. They feel like they have to fixate on it because of their diabetes, and it is the one alligator that they just kind of want to let go. You know, they just they think it's too much work to be a mindful eater. And mm. I'm just curious, what do you think of that? Well, one of the curious things about mindful eating is it is hard in the beginning. It does take some effort, and I and I think Kat really said you got to get that mindset, you got to get that determination. The thing is, is that in the beginning it's hard, but it gets easier every time you do it. So for the first week, it's hard. The second week, it's a little bit easier. Third week, a little bit easier. People say to me, you know, after six months, they don't even think about it anymore. They're so good at starting to ask these questions. They're so good at checking in. Hey, am I hungry? How hungry am I? What do I really want? What do I really need? What do I really have? They start asking questions, and they get in the habit of asking questions, of exploring and and understanding their own self and saying it gets to be different every time. And that's exciting because you are in charge of your diabetes care. Who's the best person to be in charge? You. So you know your body. It's your body. Start asking questions. Start learning about it. It's not an arduous task. It's curiosity. How do you get to know a friend? How do you become a friend? You ask questions. You care about them. It's the same thing with mindful eating. It's not turning around saying you have to do this or you've got to do that. saying, hey, what's going on? What do you need? How can I help? It's bringing that kindness back in, that that self-kindness back into the conversation. To yourself and everyone else, I think that's so important, what you're saying about just kind of being kind all the way around this whole 
concept of who you are, you know, being able to be kind enough to ask questions to your doctor, to consult with experts like yourself or Dr. Shemek who's coming up, to find, what, you know, to, to check out resources and bring them back to qualified people to begin to understand how to manage your diabetes and, like you said, how to juggle those alligators or maybe drop an alligator and just get rid of it, right? I love that. That is perfect. I tell people all the time, we've got to figure out how to set these alligators free. We don't need them exactly. anymore. <laughs> all right. Well, now, we're in the middle of celebrating 31 days of car- counting carbs at Divabetic, and we're focusing on fruits and vegetables, uh, nature's candy, because we all know at the end of the month what's coming up, a big holiday that doesn't really focus on nature's candy, that focuses on another candy. So I have been uh, working with my team, and we've been posting these numbers every day on Facebook, and I got an email back that I wanted to read to you and then get your answer on it as a registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator. Uh, This woman said, my sister is a diabetic and has never heard of counting carbs to manage blood sugars. I also asked a nutritionist who counsels diabetics, and she does not recommend this either. I believe that diet should be viewed as a whole, not a part. Counting carbs does no good if there's not a sufficient protein and fat in the diet. There are too many overweight people because of failure to look at the entire diet. Now the fat is to focus on carbs. They are neither bad nor good. They, are, they simply are. Uh, first of all, I never say diabetic. We say diabetic. Uh, and second of all, I just, I'm reading it verbatim, so I'm not going to say the person's name. But the first part really stood out to me that her sister has diabetes and she's never heard of carb counting to manage her blood sugars. As a certified diabetes educator, I'd love to get your response to that. Um, again, carb counting is the standard that we use in the United States. Um, so that's, you know, interesting. Um, so, again, I'm not really sure how to respond to that. Um, I find that carbohydrates, being aware of carbohydrates, is really very helpful and that most people, when they start doing awareness with carbohydrate and monitoring their blood sugars, they get a really good understanding of what's driving their blood sugars up or what's making them drop down. So that's really, really helpful for people. I do love the idea of eating a whole diet. So I always think to myself that when I eat carbohydrates in isolation, my blood sugars are going to behave differently than if I eat them with a healthy fat and protein, if I eat them with high-fiber foods. Um, So that's also really an important conversation to have. Carbohydrates do have the single greatest effect on your blood sugars, and awareness of carbohydrates in the diet is actually very, very helpful for blood glucose management. Yes, and, you know, I mean, we're posting it because a lot of people don't know where to begin in this whole concept of counting carbs, especially if they don't come in packages. And the idea Mm. of a fruit or vegetable, you know, you look at an apple, are you thinking carbs? I mean, you could turn over an Oreo package and see the carbs immediately. But the apple might, you know, we do love to encourage people to eat fruits and vegetables and, like you said, have a – um, like both you and our Facebook friend said, you know, we want people to have a well-balanced diet. But the truth is – this is part of being mindful, right? Kind of planning ahead, sitting down, thinking about what are you going to eat, and actually beginning, like you're saying, to to watch how it how the patterns are creating around your blood sugars. Absolutely, and that curiosity again, really getting into the heart of it. When we test our blood sugars, we can really learn a lot about um, ourselves. And I had a patient who had a high blood sugar. And when I said, what would you eat? He said, raisin bran. I said, what would you learn? He goes, raisin bran jacks my blood sugar. So then I looked at another blood sugar, and I, I said, what would you have? He goes, oh, you won't believe it. I said, well, what was it? He goes, 
oh, and he's listing off like alcohol and, you know, cookies and all this other stuff. And his blood sugar was lower. And I said, wow, what did you, you know, what do you think about that? And he goes, Raisin Bran has more effect on my blood sugars than beer and wine and cookies. I'm like, wow, they don't teach me that in diabetes school. So there's no possible way I can know how any individual person is going to react to their food and eating. And that's this idea of just turning around and saying, there isn't one solution. There isn't one outcome. It's your body. It's your life. It's your choices. Really start taking ownership. And that's the piece. When we empower ourselves to say, you know what, no one has the same body as me. i got to learn what is happening in my body because that's the one I have charge of. I love it. We're going to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for being a part of the show tonight and helping us educate people in a new, fun way. Take care. All right, straight ahead. Dr. Lori Shemick's coming up. We're going to be talking about food addiction, binge eating, and overeating, and the mindset that might be behind it. But first, let's listen to another song by Kelly Clarkson, who says that junior high and high school were some of her favorite times. This song's called Nostalgic, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. We're talking about binge eating, overeating, food addiction. My next guest is Dr. Lori Shemek. She's an internationally known speaker. She's also an author of several great books. I love to go to her website every night, and I follow her on Twitter all the time. Please walk her, welcome Dr. Lori. Hi, Dr. Lori. Hello there. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well. You know, this topic is so um, emotional to me. I'm tongue-tied and talking too fast because, you know, I saw my former boss, Luther Vandross, deal with this day in and day out, and it was so hard to watch someone who was so successful in so many parts of their lives struggle in another part and really not know how to help them. You know, and you've been hearing the conversation tonight. I'm I'm curious to know um, what you've been thinking as you've been listening to the show. Well, I've been thinking that um, I love the messages of, you know, empower empower yourself. I love the message that uh, you can do something about it, and you can. Um, you can actually get off your medication if you follow the right protocol. And, you, you, you know, like uh, it was said, when you pay attention to what's going on with your body, when you get the right foods and you exercise, you're going to create better insulin sensitivity. And that's a great thing. I've had many clients get off of their medication and go on to live a healthy, happy life. So even though you can't cure it, you can absolutely live um, without medication, like a normal person. Specifically, we're talking diabetes. oral medications for people living with type 2 diabetes. Right. So, um, But let's talk about this because... It's all about, it seems a lot to do with the mindset. We heard uh, our last guest talking about coping with diabetes. So this whole coping idea, it seems to me, um, you know, there's a lot of shame and blame associated with these things, like why am I binge eating? Why am I overeating? Why am I... Uh, am I a food addict? Why can't I stop? What's wrong with me? You know, that negativity, I'm sure that do, that doesn't really help someone who's trying to get out from under. 
Absolutely not. And you know, that's a great, that's a very, that's an incredibly articulate comment and poignant because the problem is um, in our culture, we define success, unfortunately, by the way we look. Okay? And so um, if your success is defined by uh, your ability to fit into society's unrealistic, and I'm, you know, I'm uh, quoting that expectations of perfection, then you're you're going to be disappointed with yourself, and that's the problem. We have many women and we have many men that feel shame about the way they look. They're not happy with the way they look. You know, our culture, especially Western culture right now, um, really does. Uh, drop down on their knees for really thin people, extreme thinness, in fact. And our culture tends to devalue inner beauty. And that's what I think is really important. Uh, Everywhere you look, um, you see where it's aesthetic. The valuation comes from the way you look. And uh, you see images that are being um, um, changed with Photoshop, for example, all over the place. And then you get these brave souls that say, you know what, I don't want my image photoshopped. I want people to see how I really look. And this has become um, you know, more of a trend, which is a great trend in my opinion. So in our society, wherever you look, whatever TV show you're looking at, the message is very clear that you can never be thin enough and this leaves people feeling unhappy about the way they look. Absolutely, and then, you know, we we go after those people. Amy Schumer on SNL this weekend went after the Kardashians. We all know about Kirstie Alley's mm-hmm. yo-yo dieting. My idol, Richard Simmons, apparently won't leave his home because he might have gained weight and people are making jokes about it. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. so interesting that, you know, then we target people too, right? So if you're not feeling good about yourself, and like right. you said, there's so much pressure to be, uh, airbrushed at all times. People are oh, having yes. their, their faces reconstructed because of selfies. Mm-hmm. How do you right. get past this when you're watching some of your, you know, Winona Judd? I mean, we were talking about Kelly Clarkson at the top of the show. Ever, you know, this album came out. She's like 30 pounds heavier than she's ever been, I guess, in her career. And the British journalist went after her and said, "That's not baby weight. That's like, you know." Um, weight from pastries and cookies and blah 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 you know and and just said how could she how could she look like such a cow i'm paraphrasing but it was that kind of statement right and you know the thing is like if someone's deep down in the struggle listening right down right now dr Lori, and they really you know they don't want to leave their house because they feel that people are looking at them and seeing their size and they're somewhat ashamed perhaps about it what can mm-hmm. they do what's the first step that they should be thinking of trying you know what should they what do you think right. they should do so there are many people that feel hopeless okay they feel that um they could never feel good uh and that this type of body that they desire will never be a part of their life and that's how they're looking but they there is hope and they do have power. We have the power within us to create the life that we love. And I say that often. If you listen to my interviews, and I even put that in my my latest book, you have the power within you to create the life you love. So what do you do? So number one, you acknowledge 
that uh, you notice, for example, that you, that I feel fat feeling. You know, a lot of people say, God, I feel fat. And the first thing to do is to recognize that you're having that feeling. And then the second thing is to realize that fat is not a feeling, okay? It's just a thought. So thoughts are just that. And the more we step away from the, th- the thoughts and dismiss them, the, the less entrenched we become in them, okay? So, and then, you know, what you want to do is you want to remind yourself constantly that, you know, um, I have this negative voice that tries to disrupt my happiness with this intrusive messaging, if you will, about negative body image, about, you know, I have big fat thighs and I've got, you know, uh, this stomach that won't go away. It's be it, it's knowing that you have a choice in how you respond to those thoughts, okay? Remember, this is all about empowerment right now, and it's about taking action, okay? If you notice, these, um, this is all about literally taking action. So start small with some of the things I'm going to tell you and then add on because it won't happen overnight. You know, uh, change takes a little bit of time. So when you get that fat feeling, it's easier just to feel that, oh, I feel fat and be discouraged and unhappy about the way you look, as opposed to identifying maybe what is really going on inside me that is triggering this feeling of, um, because remember, it's not about so much outside as it is on the inside. We want to empower who we are, and the internal beauty that we have. Because we are all worthwhile, valuable, beautiful people, okay? And many people are walking around feeling that they're unhappy and miserable and not beautiful enough. So we want to empower the inside, the beauty on the inside. So make the choice. We always have choice. And once we do know we have choice, what we want to do is we want to make a decision. We want to um, choose not to feel badly anymore about the way I look, okay? So you decide to do something and do something different. And sometimes, you know, in my experience, a decision is really all it takes. So no one's forcing you to hate your body and the decision then from then on is to say, you know what, I love the way I look, but I'm making a decision to make some changes. And then you start shifting the focus. And you decide, well, I'm not going to listen to those negative uh, image thoughts, those body image thoughts anymore. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm I'm going to shift my focus onto something else. And this is a key point because the more you do this, the easier it becomes. And it happens relatively soon. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you stick with it, if you're tenacious, it will happen for you. And it becomes second nature, just like brushing your teeth. And one day you're going to go, wow, I went through the whole day without feeling bad about myself. Isn't that great? I looked in the mirror and I didn't feel bad about myself. So Remember that when you shift your focus, things start to change for you. Even right then, things start happening. The more you focus on something like fear or a body part, the larger it becomes in your life. And then also, 
I'd like to say to appreciate who you are. Think not so much about how you look on the outside, but more importantly, how you look on how you feel on the inside. It's very important in order for us to have a quality life to 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 really uh, nurture the inside. And just as much as it is to take care of the outside, we need to take care of that inside too. And redefine uh, redefine your definition of beauty. Make it where it's good for you, it's something that you love and that you want to uh, embody and that will empower you. And then last, I really want people to stop comparing themselves. It's easy to do, but... Always know, again, that you have the power within you to create the life you love. And if you focus on somebody else, on what they have, it takes all of the power away from you. I think that's amazing. I'm, I, I just sat up taller in my chair. Oh. People, I think I'm just, what you said just... Um, I really wish Luther could have heard it, and I, I'm sure you would recommend that no one go through this alone. I mean, anywhere in these steps, exactly. they could absolutely consult with an expert like yourself or someone in their area or you know, uh, find a compassionate, thoughtful person in their life that they could share these things with and begin to kind of do this next step in their journey. But it is and possible. And have compassion and, for yourself, yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to end, just ask you one more question before we wrap up. Right. Uh, we use the term food addiction. I'm just curious, is that really, uh, is there really such a thing as food addiction? I, I know you just oh, yes. wrote your, um, you have a book that just came out, Fighting Fat Flammation. Uh, you mm-hmm. talk a lot about it on Twitter. So what is your thought on food addiction? It's a real thing, okay? Food addiction is real. They've done studies. There's research out there showing that food addiction is very real. Changes take place in the brain. The very same changes that take place with uh, morphine and cocaine, okay? So know that. That's very important. It's a real thing, and it's not your fault. Not only that, the food manufacturers have created slick combinations of powerful foods that trick the brain and they fool the tongue and set up, um, which what we're seeing now across our country, uh, a food addiction, where people love the food they're eating, of course, and have trouble stopping eating it. So it's not your fault, but like I said earlier, we can take control, we can make a choice and do things differently. It's all about action. I love it. Great advice. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank uh, we're getting you. ready to meet our final guest, Mama Rosemary. But before we do, Dr. Lurie, we're going to hear one more song from Kelly Clarkson called In the Blue, courtesy of Sony Music. In the sun, no Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. We're talking to Mama Rosemary. You know what? She's been through quite a week down in Columbia, South Carolina. I know our listeners want to hear, how is it down there, Mama Rosemary? How are you and Dad doing? 
Well, we're doing fine. Thank you for asking. Thanks for all. Is all it as bad as the news reports? So Definitely. It is very devastating. Um, today I talked with a friend of mine who I hadn't been able to reach, but I was very concerned because um, it was on the news that her street was flooded. And sure enough, when I finally got in touch with her, she had to be rescued by a boat. She lost all her first floor of her house, a beautiful home. And um, it, so that's just one case of it. And But your dad and I are very fortunate. We live on a high, high ground. Our house is up high. We had... Um, all the services, our electricity and water. However, we have still have to hit boil the water that we use for cooking and so forth. And they um, people have been so kind, giving now bottled water and and everything. And this woman that I was telling you about, the first thing she said to me was, "You can't imagine how grateful we are for all the people that have been helping." She said the teenagers from the churches. And the schools couldn't be more helpful. They came immediately to help her get rid of all her damaged floors and walls and so forth. So um, people have been over, overwhelmingly supportive of those who have been in need. And, yes, it was very devastating. But as I said, Dad and I are very grateful. Well, and we're all... Our hearts go out to everyone in Columbia, South Carolina, and everyone who was affected by the flooding. I'm curious to know what your mother, your diabetes tip is this month. Okay. Well, during natural disasters, like we just said, or emergencies and hazards, people with diabetes face particular challenges to their health care. The Center of Disease Control urges everyone with diabetes to identify yourself as a person living with diabetes or any other related conditions, so you can obtain appropriate care. It is also important to prevent dehydration by drinking enough fluids and to keep some fast-acting source of sugar with you at all times, like those glucose tablets. To prevent infections, pay careful attention to the health of your feet and get medical treatment for any of the wounds that you incur. And um, just one more thing, we had the notification that the um, floods were coming. The uh, people were warned if they were on medicine to make sure they had their medicine ready to be rescued. So um, that was a good tip, too, as far as always be prepared to have your medications ready to go wherever you go. Great job. I'm so grateful that you and Ted are all right. Well, thank all right, you. well, I and want to I thank Mama Rose, Marie, and all my guests tonight. And thank you for listening. Please subscribe to our Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org and visit our Facebook pages to get more from the 31 Days of car- Counting Carbs. Now, remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Check us out at the Divabetic Club in Philadelphia this Thursday. And, hey, we're going to close the podcast with one more song from Kelly Clarkson's album, Peace by Peace called Second Wind. Have a great night. Yeah.